the name of the one who was and is and always shall be. Amen. Good morning. Happy Transfiguration Sunday. We just heard this extraordinary, momentously divine story from the Gospel of Luke that describes Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus took his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to a mountaintop to pray. As Jesus prays, his appearance changes. His clothes glow and sparkle with light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appear. The disciples witness these mystical and unexplainable things happening. Peter wants to build three houses for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Then God comes in a cloud that overwhelms and terrifies the disciples. And God proclaims that Jesus is my son. Then Jesus and the disciples go down from the mountain. The transfiguration is told from the perspective of the disciples. And it's hard to unravel or truly understand the magnitude of exactly what it was that the disciples witnessed. However, what I can understand is Peter's reaction to it all. When Moses and Elijah appeared, they spoke with Jesus about Jesus' work in Jerusalem, which means they were discussing the ministry that Jesus would undertake on the way to Jerusalem, leading to his death on the cross. How terrifying it must have been and painful for the disciples to see an event they could not understand in which the topic of discussion was the death of their beloved teacher and leader. If going down the mountain meant Jesus' death, why not, as Peter suggested, just stay on the mountain? It is tempting to want to build a house around or freeze an extraordinary moment in time, especially when we know that moving on from that moment leads to suffering and death. My mom had surgery in January. At the time, the surgery prompted us to have some difficult conversations about end-of-life care and my mother's final wishes. My mother is completely fine now. She is fully recovered from the surgery, but the situation forced me to contend with my mother's mortality and the fact that she will die someday. One of the most important things to know about my mother is that she is a church organist. Recently, I said to my mom, I've been thinking about your funeral. And when it comes to your death, your funeral is the place where I get stuck. I want you to have the glorious, 
requiem mass that you deserve with the best choir I can find. But I told my mom, the problem is, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for the choir at Ascension and Dennis Keene to fly to Ohio and give you the ultimate musical funeral liturgy you deserve. And my mother, the organist, said, well, I just won't die then. I said, great, that works for me. Now, you will have to live forever. This was my way of building a house for my mom. I don't ever want to let her go, ever. I'd rather imagine that she in fact does, out of sheer will and impeccable musical taste, have the ability to just not die. There are times in life, it could be a first kiss, a wedding, the birth of a child, listening to a beautiful piece of music, or soaking in a painting, or a natural landscape, or it could be the moments before someone we love passes away. These are the moments where we want to freeze everything to stop time so we can keep ourselves and our loved ones there forever and not move forward into the unknown. So I can understand Peter's desire to crystallize this mystical mountaintop moment. I can picture him thinking, Jesus is here right now. Elijah is here. Moses is here. Let's build three houses and then you won't have to go anywhere. And everything will be okay. If we can just stay here, then we don't have to deal with the bad stuff later. Which means Jesus won't need to go to Jerusalem and suffer on the cross. But it was Peter's desire to build a house and keep Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the mountain that springs God into action. God overwhelms the disciples in a cloud. God's cloud is terrifying. And instead of the mountaintop being the place where Jesus was shining brightly, a place where the disciples were tempted to linger, God's cloud turns the mountaintop into a very uncomfortable place to stay, compelling the disciples to move forward and go down from the mountain. God doesn't give the disciples an option. The cloud was so big and so overwhelming that there was no other way out other than to walk through it. 
As they walk through it, God tells them, this is Jesus, my son. Listen to him. The thing that Jesus was saying that the disciples needed to listen to was that this moment, the transfiguration, was a turning point in his ministry. This new direction to Jerusalem that would lead Jesus to his death and resurrection that would bring about the kingdom of God. In the chapter right before the transfiguration, Jesus spoke of this new direction of his ministry, of his death and the coming of the kingdom of God. It was the same topic of discussion he had with Moses and Elijah during this morning's transfiguration story. It was a conversation about the necessity of Jesus's death to bring about new life for all creation. Jesus was continuously naming these uncomfortable things, things that were difficult for the disciples to comprehend. Jesus was ready to pivot his ministry. Jesus was ready to walk the road that would lead to his death and resurrection. But his disciples were not ready to go there with him quite yet. They were scared and stuck in the death and suffering. It was too big to process or accept. And the resurrection promise that came out of that death and suffering wasn't concrete and beyond their understanding because they did not have the benefit, as we do today, of reading how the story ends. Can you imagine being told about Jesus' death and resurrection without it having happened yet? Without having been taken through the whole story within the context of the holy text we have today? And without having experienced little resurrection moments of Jesus in your own life? The transfiguration seems to be God's way of making the disciples experience something beyond words. The resurrected Jesus, the united, salvific, and Trinitarian Jesus who is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The disciples had not been able to take in Jesus' words so God shows them the meaning of these words so that they could grasp Jesus' message of death and resurrection on an almost molecular level. Even though they would not fully understand all of this until much later, after the glowing and Trinitarian Jesus, and after they could see the full arc of Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And isn't that true of many of the most significant experiences we have? We 
only truly understand some experiences until later on with further reflection, with the benefit of looking back at them. It took the disciples a very long time to understand the significance of the transfiguration. Today's reading from 2 Peter probably wasn't written by Peter, but the author is speaking in Peter's voice and is an example of the generations directly after Jesus' life who were still grappling with what that transfiguration experience meant. And this text is good company for those of us who are still grappling and working at this and trying to understand how to break open what this mystery meant then and what it continues to mean in our lives today. The transfiguration story is also told in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. They each present the vision of that glowing and Trinitarian Jesus in the transfiguration as a foreshadow of the resurrected Jesus. And in each of these three Gospels, the transfiguration image of the resurrection happens in the middle of the story. In the Gospel of Mark, the connection between Jesus, the Jesus of the transfiguration, and the resurrected Jesus is so strong that Mark really doesn't give us much of a resurrection narrative at all. It is that vision of Jesus changed and sparkling on the mountaintop in the middle of the gospel that readers turn back to in order to know and see the risen Christ. I sometimes feel like the resurrection is a thing in the future that I'm working towards, that I will be resurrected with Jesus at some point, a goal ahead of me that I will achieve when I have processed enough of life's problems, atoned for all my sins, attained a certain level of goodness, and earned my spot with Jesus in the kingdom of God. But the transfiguration shows us this is not true. The transfiguration offers us the ability to immerse ourselves in the end of the story, even when we are still working our way through the middle. Through Jesus, God breaks free of our human understanding of time and offers us resurrection over and over and over again. We don't have to wait for some perfect moment in the future. Those resurrection moments happen throughout our lives, whether it is in the beginning, the middle, or the end of our story. On the cross, Jesus says to one of the thieves, today you will be with me in paradise. But 
that can also be translated as, today you are already with me in paradise. We are already resurrected, and that light that shines from Jesus is refracted off of each of us, bouncing around brightly, inviting us again and again to look back, to dig deeper, and see all of the places of resurrection in our lives. Those resurrection moments that may have begun as experiences we don't understand at the time. But in the fullness of God's time are revealed as God moving us forward with Jesus from death into new life. Amen. Amen.